Good morning and welcome to Stories in Public Health. I'm your host, Emily Dyler, and today I've come all the way over to the University of Sydney to interview Dr. Lindsay Rees, who's a Senior Research Fellow at the School of Public Health here, and she is part of the Prevention Research Collaboration. So in that role, she's the Director of Sprinter, which is Sport and Active Recreation Intervention and Epidemiology Research Group. It's a bit of a mouthful, but that's um, hopefully what she can tell us a little bit more about today. Thank you for joining us, Lindsay. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, so maybe you could start by telling us what Sprinter exactly is and what it is you do, because it's quite a, a different initiative to some other things. Yes, and well done for getting the name right. <laughs> I was reading. <laughs> yeah, so Sprinter in a nutshell is a strategic partnership between the University of Sydney and the Office of Sport in New South Wales Government. And uh, it's been going for just under three years. And actually with great excitement, I can, I can say we've just secured another three years. Oh, that's really great. Exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, really amazing. And essentially what it's designed to do is to help the Office of Sport evidence kind of some of their policies and programs, but also for us to kind of share some of the research and translate some of our latest findings into their policy work. And I guess what's really exciting for me is that it is a true partnership. So I even personally spend a couple of days a week in the Office of Sport office all the kind of government discussions and just being in the office with kind of that informal and ad hoc advice um, and then have the other half time in academia. So it's not your kind of traditional command and control type setup. And that's really great. I didn't realise you actually sat over there so that really is a true partnership because then sometimes you even have those random coffee conversations in the hall with people. Definitely and I think so when I came so I was here right from the start of Sprinter and the contract got signed and then essentially they asked me to kind of can you come along and bring it to life a little bit and when I was kind of reading it all and trying to digest the climate here and obviously you picked up on my accent I'm not from here yes <laughs> um, so when I was trying to get my head around everything and kind of read all the documents the big piece that jumped out for me was I wanted it to be a real example of partnership and collaboration so we talk about it so much but never it's really hard to do in, in actual practice and I just said look if I'm going to be here then I'd like to spend a couple of days a week in the office of sport office and then a couple of days here and that instantly is one of my biggest pieces of advice if you really want to understand how government and even academia come the other way yeah. policymakers if you want to understand how it works just being there physically because you hit the nail on the head it's the ad hoc it's the kind of coffees it's just being in the office rather than being some kind of crazy academic that floats in for a few days and yeah. not really getting what you do so yes it's been a fun couple of years and I'm really excited for the next few that's <laughs> excellent and so sorry I should have said at the beginning so your expertise is physical exercise yeah. one of your areas of expertise so what are the kind of things that the partnership's done so far yeah so my background is physical activity in public health I mean I did a sports science degree like back in the day but I um, realized quite quickly it wasn't the elite side that interested me it was kind of just helping people move and that's probably at the heart of what Sprinter does so when I kind of look to what partnerships exist between kind of policy and academia what kind of stands us out is about applying like a public health lens to sport so now, like globally, you see more and more kind of conversations around physical activity, but you also hear it around the different sectors that need to be involved. And sport is such a powerful vehicle to get people active. And whenever I make decisions around where Sprinter um, kind of works, is it on a policy or a program, it's always around, is it going to help somebody move? Yeah. And that's really the big decision. So early on, when we were discussing with the Office of Sport what the priorities would be, the kind of participation and population physical activity was really at the heart. And as a result of that, we've kind of done lots of evaluations for some of their policies and programs. We do the evidence base for a lot of their up-and-coming policies to kind of 
they will come to us and say, we're looking at investing some money in women in sport, for example. Can you tell us about what's the latest evidence? Is there some recommendations on kind of best buys? We collate kind of an evidence review, share that with them, so we can be there right from the inception. And then a lot of the time, we're then there when the strategy's being rolled out as well. So you can kind of see the policy development phase, and then it's kind of implementation. And an example recently has been the Her Sport Her Way, which is a, a New South Wales women's sport policy. But it ranges, so you get kind of small, smaller kind of implementation, programme type stuff, and then probably our flagship programme at the minute, which is driven from the Office of Sport, is the Active Kids evaluation. Yes, I've heard about that from my colleague Jo, she talks about it a lot. Yeah, it probably comes up in my inbox on a conversation on a daily basis, and that's probably our most flagship programme. And so, so could you just explain for our listeners what that actually is? Yeah, yeah, of course. So Active Kids is a New South Wales government initiative, and it's every child in New South Wales is eligible, who's school enrolled, is eligible for a $100 voucher. Now there's actually two to reduce the cost of sport and physical activity. So it was launched in the 17-18 budget uh, and we're involved in kind of understanding the evidence base around have other countries used vouchers or what do we know about co- reducing costs as a barrier for families. And then so it got rolled out in the first year and that's probably a real nice example of how sprinters played a role in each part. So we were there right at the start, we are designing the programme so we could influence what questions people ask at, at registration and essentially then we're kind of now evaluating it. So now it's being implemented, what's working, what isn't. So the Active Kids voucher is, the uptake has been phenomenal. Uh, the reach is now more than half of children in New South Wales that's have got great. an Active Kids voucher. And I guess for me it was that when you're doing the evidence, you kind of think through, okay, well, where would I use that money? Yeah. And it's a New South Wales government programme, so there's always bits of the evidence that aren't always listened to as strongly as others, just based on the nature of doing re- translating research. Yeah, absolutely. Of and it's really interesting for me just to see how having a shared platform has actually brought so many partners all together around the table. And actually, it's really united people. And so although you kind of think, oh, well, I've got my money in a voucher scheme, and that's probably up for debate, what it's been an amazing opportunity to do is actually use it as a platform to kind of go, okay, what's this happening? What can we do that's going to drive change? So we're now, like from the Office of Sports, for example, they're working with new partners that previously they might not have, for example, like dance and martial arts. For us, we're working with new people in the sector, and it gives us an opportunity to learn more about children and young people. So for me, it's like, even if you're a cynic or even if you're an advocate, what it has done is given us a, such huge opportunity to learn more about this activity in New South Wales. So what is the evidence around vouchers? Is it a bit mixed? It is a bit mixed. Like with anything, there is definitely reviews for and against. I guess there's two other predominant voucher schemes, one in Canada that's been highly uh, evaluated and one in, in the UK and Wales, which is much smaller. But I think with any public health portfolio, reducing kind of costs as a barrier or looking at financial incentives as a way of encouraging behaviour, there is mixed evidence. What we do know is if you are going to do it, being part of a multidisciplinary approach is, is critical and having an evaluation and data is also critical. But when you kind of listen to all the evidence and you kind of have the layers of um, the programme at each point and you're kind of... The biggest cynical, I guess, area in the research is should it be targeted to people that need it most? And I guess the traditional public health message is we need to be making sure that families and communities that are most likely to benefit from having support, we need to make sure it's reaching those. So the fact that the programme was universal was probably the point in the evidence which was the most highly sensitive. But I have to say a, a key reflection for me being involved in it is the evidence would definitely say it needs to be targeted from the outset, but actually just based on the sheer scale of the programme, the programme is reaching communities of you know the most disadvantaged areas, it's reaching cow communities, we have one of the largest data sets around Aboriginal children as well. So 
I'm not saying we, it's it's ticking all the boxes, but I think that's a credit to the evaluations. We can now say actually there are still communities we need to work hard on on engaging, and the office of sports really committed to do that, which is exciting. That sounds great. Mm. And so what? Sorry, I'm going to put you in the spot here because I didn't prep you for this. But mm. what's sort of the current situation? We're just uh, not exercising enough. Is is that the basic lay of the land in Australia currently? In a nutshell, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, it's and it's not Australia. You know, Australia is everywhere. Around the world, we just know that there are too many people that are not meeting the physical activity guidelines, and as a result of that, their health and well-being is being is is at risk. We're quite so. Before I came here in England, we'd seen a real strategic shift to focusing on people who are most inactive, and as a result of that, that was probably five six years ago where we first launched our strategy, which was focused on actually if we're going to really help improve health and well-being in most people, then we need to go to the people that need it most, and they're the people who are inactive. Australia are in an interesting position because a couple of years, well last year last year we had the Global Action Plan for Physical Activity, which is a World Health Organization document, and that really said all countries around the world we need to commit to physical activity. Mm-hmm. Australia is in, in a, an exciting time because they launched the National Sport Plan by Sport Australia last year, and in New South Wales we're now currently working on how we align to that. So globally and nationally there's a lot of shifts. And for me, what that means is it's an exciting time for Australia because we're now looking at, well, where do we go? How do we, how do we really mobilise all the workforces across sport, physical activity, health, education, schools, etc., to really get everyone talking about physical activity? Okay, and I do want to ask a little bit about how you got here in your career, but just I'm just really interested in this. So I just wanted to touch on what does the evidence say about what actually works? There's probably no, no one silver bullet, but what actually has been successful around the world in terms of getting people moving? That is a million dollar question. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of countries that are leading the way on it, which are probably the countries that most people would, would kind of think of. Uh, so you England, and you Canada, and you New Zealand, and Australia, I think, are on that journey. There's not one set solution, and there will not be one set solution for each country. And what we do know, though, is that no one sector can deliver. It, it has to be a cross-agency, cross-government, cross-partnership, collaboration, where everybody's taking ownership of, of the issue. Predominant, I think, historically, it's always been seen as a health issue. Mm. What we're now realising that every person around the table, from transport, planning, health, schools, sport, etc., has a critical part to play. And I think we're starting to move away from this idea of we have one cause, which means one effect. We're working within a system where every part of it influences different parts of the system. And what we have to understand is that kind of wider context um, and that everything we do has a knock-on effect in another part of the system. And I think countries that have been more open to that thinking have definitely shown signs of change. But sadly, when you look at the Global Action Plan, they're still most countries around the world are still committed to uh, working hard at it, definitely. Okay, that's great. And I might now just take a step back and ask a little bit about how you got here. You sort of suggested before that you're not, not from here. So how did you get to Australia and to public health? What first interested you? Well, the sunshine is definitely a big appeal. Yeah, um. it is nice here. <laughs> so no, I mean, I made uh, links with the team here at Sydney many years ago. There's a pragmatic evaluation course that the team here, led by Adrian Bowman, deliver. Uh, and their first course on that was delivered in Edinburgh back in, I think, 2015. Anyway, so, years ago, I went on that pragmatic evaluation course to learn more about delivering complex evaluations, normally government funded, and mm-hmm. learn a bit more about how to make those pragmatic decisions. And I met the team here at Sydney Uni. And then, since then, I kind of made maintained contact, uh, kept in touch, really, you know, was interested in some of the work that was coming out of this department. 
And then many years on, I saw the job advertised. And to be honest, I never thought I'd even get a look in. And I was at a critical point in my career in England because I'd finished my PhD, which again, I never even thought I would do. And I think I was at a bit of a crossroads. I was like, I'm either going to commit to staying in this role and, and be you know, continue up and be a big fish in a smaller pond there in Sheffield, or I look at what else there was. And, and the job came up here for Sprinter. And what appealed was... I have to admit, sunshine. But what really felt was there's not many jobs in Australia for an academic working cross policy. And it was that excitement, but also challenge, recognising that there's a lot of bias towards the English and uh, Australian rivalry, particularly in sport. Yes. Um, <laughs> and the, you know, Brit coming over, what can we tell Australia about sport? But the appeal was having that kind of cross-agency role and being able to spend some time in government, some time in academia. So yeah, put an application in had me interview whilst on holiday and then I guess the rest is history and um, I took a long time to make the decision to come uh, when I was offered the role it took me about a month to really think it through and now I've been here for two and a half years it's probably one of the best career decisions I ever made. That's great I love it when people say that like I wasn't sure but then it was such a good decision. Yeah I think it was because this was probably the first real career decision I've made where I had to consider the life implications too Everywhere in England is pretty nearby. You have yeah. to worry about kind of being away from friends and family. So I think it was that aspect of the role that was all, all you know, also kind of a big, a big point to consider. And the irony is that actually probably being away, I've become closer with my friends and family. You make more of an effort because you're yeah, down the road. You do. Um, and so, what was the role you were working on in the UK before you came here? So I was a senior research fellow at Sheffield Hallam, um, and I led a team who conducted similar to work to the team here but much more individual programs but it was around physical activity and chronic disease. In England we've probably seen based on the kind of national shift to focusing on inactives we've seen a lot more research funding going into programs that kind of focus on survivorship for cancer or management and treatment of chronic disease and the role physical activity plays in that. Mm. So the team I was working with at Sheffield Hallam were focused much more on the kind of health and wellbeing outcomes of physical activity, embedding it within the NHS for example. I mean my PhD was back in overweight and obese kids and being physically active. So there's always been a theme but my, my, I guess my role there was much more focused on the health outcomes and working much more like with healthcare clinicians and professionals and raising physical activity conversations in the chronic disease pathways. But again, sport had kind of been a real critical sector in England for driving the, you know, the need to increase population physical activity. So when I had that challenge of kind of coming here and almost leading some of that over in Australia, that was part of the appeal. But I did love the job. I was very lucky in Sheffield to be surrounded by amazing role models. I had a mentor who's still my mentor now, Professor Rob Copeland, who really helped open my eyes to so many of the um, pragmatic decisions we make. So that's why it was a big decision to move. But his piece of advice when I left was, if you really value the relationships that you have, then you'll, they'll stick. And it, that's been so true. So no matter where you are, if you've got those solid connections and solid relationships and mentors, no matter where you go, they'll always have your support and you can always draw on them. Oh, um, that's great. 100% true. Yeah, so it doesn't matter that you've moved, you've still got all that support back there. Oh, without a doubt. And in some ways, we've probably become a bit closer because there are benefits to international collaboration. Yeah, so it's a benefit for them as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's what I always think. That's honestly what keeps me going is I've got so much support that there's people that you can reach out to. Like I always say that some of my friends should get some of my pay because sometimes <laughs> when I don't know what to do, I call them. <laughs> and so what first drew you to obesity and physical exercise? You were saying in your PhD you looked mm. at obesity and chronic conditions. What first interested you in that? Is it just, you know, a normality of the scale that it's increasing or...? 
I guess for me personally, I've always been active. So as a kid, I was always active and I used to pretend to be a runner. Um, but I used to run and I guess I've always just been active and had the benefits associated with being active. So when I was kind of considering what I enjoyed at school and what I loved, activity was always part of it. And I guess it was that challenge of why aren't people doing it? Like you, and you see your friends kind of change when you're in sporty teams, you see them kind of leave. And I guess for me, it was that kind of, I'm innately curious and want to kind of problem solve. So for me, it was just, actually, I just want to help people be active because I feel the benefits and I want to really help other people. But I also want to take the time to understand how other people choose not to be active or aren't as active as maybe like I was. So then, yeah, when I went to go to uni, I just kind of looked at the different courses. I initially went for physio and did get in, hence why I went to Sheffield and did sports science. But actually, that was probably one of the best decisions because I absolutely loved it. So I guess the physical activity has always been a part of my my personal life. And then I kind of embedded that within work, I guess. Yeah, I find, I've find i been doing more interviews this year in this kind of space. And I just find it really fascinating because I mainly work in infectious diseases. But I find it... It's just so complex as to why people do the things they do and I probably don't exercise and enough and it's just interesting as to how and why we make decisions about our life. It's such an interesting space. Oh, 100%. So that's where, it, and I think we kind of get into this habit of kind of looking at physical activity and smoking and we have all the different kind of public health behaviours and actually like we all make choices on a daily basis yeah. and if, whether you're a physical activity advocate, whether you're kind of working in tobacco control, it really comes down to people and it comes down to the choices we make and then how we can support them to ensure that those choices are healthy and it works for them. Yeah. And I think so long, particularly in like sport as well, we've had that kind of build it, we will come mentality. And now it's actually starting to think, well, what do people actually want to do? How yeah. do people want to move? What do they enjoy? And then how can we support them to do that? And I think it's that kind of mind shift which is where we're starting to see some of the um, some of the differences. I, I do want to ask, sorry, I've, I'm just trying to collect my thoughts because I do want to ask a little bit about some career advice you might have for younger people. But that was just making me think because in Adelaide, there's a big, I'm from Adelaide originally, I don't know if I've said that to people before. I love Adelaide. Yeah, and there's a big cycling culture there. And I don't know if it's because because of sort of more sporting events that are around cycling, but is there any evidence that shows if you have something like the Olympics or a big sort of national event that shows elite athletes, does that then encourage people to exercise or is it more just people need to be doing it every day? So I think one of the difficulties with ever answering some of those type of questions is that there's never one thing for the same person. So for some people, they will watch the Olympics and it will have it make a difference to them and they may make decisions to then be active. Just like seeing an event in your local area, they might then see their favourite cyclist going past and they get inspired to jump on a bike. So for some people, I'm sure it does. Sadly, the evidence around legacy is really, is really mixed. And I would say that there's never really been a country that's probably changed their physical activity levels at a population level based on the back of a major event. Yeah. We normally see a classic kind of spike just after the event and then it kind of peters down. What I would say though, just from an experience that I've had so far, is that there's normally a catalyst for a change. So when I think back to kind of England and when we were starting to consider, okay, well who's our target audience and where nationally we're going to start targeting? And we started to think about the sporting futures and talk towards an active nation, which is kind of the, the English physical activity and sports strategies. The Olympics in London really was a catalyst to get people having conversations around activity. And as a result of that, you had kind of minister-led teams. And as a result of that, we then had some national centres becoming to be developed. And hence why I was based on the one in Sheffield. So a long way to answer your question is there's never one thing for the one. It's never the same thing for, for the same person. But normally, what the power that sport has, it normally can be part of a catalyst to do something. So the evidence is a bit mixed on major events, but... 
I always think it can be can help some people and it can be a real catalyst for change. And for me, it's starting to understand well, what's been the catalyst in different countries. The way Australia responded to having the Olympics in Sydney was very different to how England did it. So mm. different countries all look very differently. Excellent. That's an excellent answer. <laughs> Uh, so I might just now touch on some advice you might have for people that are sort of in the field. I know this might make you a bit nervous because you don't seem to rate yourself as highly as everyone else around you does, but um, you are doing very well in your career. So what are some things you've mentioned, a few things, you, you moved here, which was a big decision, you got mentors, what other things do you think help you to be where you are today? I have been very lucky to be surrounded by some amazing people, so I don't think I can emphasise enough the strength in having mentors or even people around you that might not work directly with you on a day-to-day basis but you can go have a coffee with and you can rant or you can brainstorm or you can kind of just share ideas out loud because that for me has been a critical part of anything I've done whether it's making a decision about my personal career making a decision about the team I might be leading right through to brainstorming like a policy or a program or a piece of work so I think for me surrounding yourself with people that you you trust and value and come from different perspectives to challenge your thinking as well I think that's that for me has just been it's been huge I also think questioning having those people around you to kind of challenge your own thoughts is really key and what I mean, what I mean by that is sometimes someone like me I can get quite down the rabbit hole to get really excited and I can jump straight in and then you get so far down the rabbit hole and you kind of think hang on why am I actually doing this again so having those people to bounce ideas off helps you then step back and reflect a little bit so I think taking time to uh, reflect and don't be scared of that I think being honest to say like no one is great at absolutely everything and if they are then that's normally you know Maybe they need to reflect a little bit more. I think it's kind of don't be scared of reflecting and maybe just investing some time in that process is, is really critical and it's definitely helped me. And then the third thing is since being here, I've, I think I've become a bit more self-aware. So understanding like how you work is also really important. So I know, for example, that I need to externally process stuff. So I know I warn my team to say, oh, I think I've got an idea. Can I just like talk at you for 10, 15 minutes because that's the way I think and that's the way I process. And I think sometimes having an awareness of how you work best and how you are creative and if you're going to be sat writing, where's your best environment to do that. So I think having that little bit of like time to kind of think through which environments or the ways you work are really helpful. I think that's all excellent advice. <laughs> and my final question that I usually finish with is, do you have a favourite book or favourite movie or something that you've watched or seen that's changed the way you've thought about the world? That is a really tough question. It doesn't have to be like intense, it can be fiction. I don't know how to phrase it better. If anyone has any ideas, just tweet me how to ask it better. <laughs> my, well actually one of my resolutions this year is to read more. When I did my PhD a few years ago, I lost, I just didn't read. Yeah, PhD reading, will do that too. Oh man, yeah, reading like, and especially when you have a job where you're reading mm. quite a bit, I was like, oh, just stopped. But then I realised like how much I actually love getting into fiction and kind of getting, getting lost in like different worlds I actually yeah. quite like. So in terms of a book I've read fairly recently, which I really liked, was it's by Holly Bourne and it's called How Do You Like Me Now? Or How Do You See Me Now, sorry. And the reason I like it was because it's about an individual in their 30s and managing kind of life decisions and also being on social media. Uh, so it's a really interesting book. That sounds awesome. Highly, yeah, I'd highly recommend that one. And then in terms of a film, one that actually came on TV and we watched, and you're going to think that I've, I've planned for this, but... 
um, because it's linked to sport but the blind side it's just an app it's an absolute classic and that's just a good movie <laughs> it's a great movie but it's not one you kind of always pick up and watch it's one of those times I was like flicking through the stations it was on and yeah Sandra Bullock in that is just amazing yeah um, well I've definitely seen the movie but I'll put that book onto my, my list I would highly recommend yeah, yeah. Holly Bourne have it, check it out excellent thank you I really like that I, I was saying to my partner on the weekend I wish someone had told me that getting older was like awesome because you know everyone talks about getting older like it's this bad thing but I just keep getting happier every year so I just wish someone had said to me when I was 20 things are going to just get more awesome as time goes on so I like books about people in their 30s it's funny isn't it you should say that because I kind of look back and think wow and and at the time you kind of know that when you get older you probably will be wiser but at the time I guess when you're quite you know quite an emotional person you get quite kind of fired up by stuff and you get kind of yeah and you think oh so I think now, like, I'll just be like, Linz, why did you beat yourself up so much? Yeah. Like, it's actually okay. And yeah. I probably learned more from all the stuff I did then because I did it that way. And that's probably why I am, I am now the way I am. Yeah, but and now things are awesome. Yeah. Oh, no, it's good fun. And the sunshine's <laughs> amazing. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. And we will follow you on Twitter back. Thank you very much. So thank you very much for having me. It's been a real delight. Thank Excellent. You. And thank you, everyone, for listening.